If you remember, the drama of redemption is, is a re- accounting. It is the history, which is His story. It is God's story. And if we look at the Bible, one thing I would love for you to walk away from this entire series understanding is this. Front to back, it is one story. We look at this and we say there's 66 books and there's different authors, and which, by the way, makes this even more incredible because front to back from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelations, it is one story. It is the story of how God is redeeming a special people out of the world for Himself and how it unfolds before our eyes in this incredible way. And as we walk through the story, and we've walked through some of it even now, uh, uh, the last few weeks we looked at creation and this incredible uh, introduction to the story and the introduction of the main character who we think oftentimes the main character is me, myself, and I, but the reality is the main character is God. And the whole story is about God. And we walk through the story of how God creates man and, and, and He creates woman. And together they, they are what God intends in this beautiful picture of creation in the Garden of Eden. And then we next looked at the corruption. And in the midst of that corruption, you have Adam and Eve violating God's law. And how from that moment on, History has changed. And you have sin entering into the world which brings death and suffering and and all kinds of things. People look around and they say to the Christian, why does a good God who loves people allow suffering? Well, the answer is that sin came into the world. And you have the very first moment of the story of drama of redemption being unfolded for us in Genesis chapter 3 when in that moment God makes His first promise to man. And he says, I will redeem you. And the story goes on over and over again. You have the calamity of of the flood where God looked at the world and said it's filled with corruption and it needs to be cleansed. And so he floods the earth. And and, and what a wonderful uh, sermon we heard about the the flood and, and, and what ultimately the message of hope in there is that God is faithful to his people. And that is the story of redemption over and over again. And you have the flood. And then out of this comes comes this incredible uh, man named Abraham that begins a journey that God calls him out of a world of sin and darkness. And he says, you will be the foundation of my starting the redemption. And you have this incredible promise to Abraham in in Genesis chapter 12 when he says in verse 3, I will bless the entire world through your family line. Promise number two. And then he goes in Genesis chapter 15, he makes this incredible uh, 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 covenant with Abraham, and he says, uh, bring all these animals together and, and, and line them up and cut them in half in this gruesome picture. And, and he says, in, in the same way that the kings of the earth at that time would have known and understood that that a covenant was being made between two parties, and God says to Abraham, if I fail to keep my covenant. What has been done to these animals will be done to me. And the only way it can be amended is through the cutting and shedding. And then Isaac comes along, and we see in Genesis 22 this idea of Isaac being offered and God uh, uh, testing his faithfulness and, and, and this incredible idea of faith and understanding that Abraham, before he goes up, he says, I will come back with my son because God is able. 
And the story goes on and on, and we didn't even cover Jacob. And we didn't cover Joseph and, and the nation of Israel going into slavery and bondage to and, and what is the Old Testament picture of bondage to sin. And then Moses rising up as an Old Testament picture of a redeemer who brings his people, the people of God, out of Egypt in slavery and bondage. And then a kingdom after kingdom as they ask for a king, which God does not, uh, he's not what he wanted for them. But they ask for a king and then the kings begin to fail. And eventually there is, there is a broken kingdom. And in the midst of that, a promise is made in Isaiah chapter 9 where uh, God speaks to His people and He says a counselor will come. He will be mighty, a prince of peace. And He, through His suffering, will bring about redemption. And promise after promise comes. And then we have Israel taken into exile. And this is, this is an entire Old Testament in like five minutes. It's the story of God's redemption. Up and down and up and down and, and, and promise is made. And, and then all of a sudden we come to Malachi chapter 4 and you read through Malachi chapter 4 and it ends with this promise of a Messiah, a Redeemer coming and He will turn the hearts of the children to their fathers and reveal men's hearts. And then you know what happens? 400 years of silence. It's 146,000 days of silence. And then we open up the New Testament to this incredible, miraculous promise being fulfilled in an immaculate conception, in the birth of a child, angel visitation promises and, and, and an angel telling Mary, do not be afraid of this child. He shall be Jesus. He will save His people from their sins. Angels appearing to shepherds and shepherds and wise men coming and worshiping. And all of a sudden, we come to our passage today after all this buildup, and I'd call this a transition. A catch your breath for a moment after 400 years of silence and then bursting onto the scene, this incredible Messiah. And we come to Luke chapter 2 in this story that is one of uh, the maybe a lesser known, lesser read parts that only Luke accounts for. And, and it's the story of two elderly people and their encounter with Jesus. And I would call this an incredible transition. And we want to look at this transition because I think there are three things in this passage that prepares us for what is ultimately the climax of the story of the drama of redemption which is going to come up Thursday when we talk about at Tenebrae when we talk about the passion and the crucifixion of Jesus and then the greatest moment in the history of mankind the resurrection of Jesus from the dead what an incredible moment it all comes together and right here we are transitioning from this story of promise to fulfillment and we'll look at that this morning, but before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this incredible story that you have planned before the foundations of the earth were even laid. And Father, I pray that as we look this morning at the transition from, from promise to present, that our hearts would be spurred, that we would be challenged and encouraged and excited about what you are doing in and through us 
and through your Son, Jesus Christ, in the world today. We thank you, we praise you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, I said that there are, I think, three transitions in this passage, and so let's read through it, and then we're going to walk through it together. So if you would, take your copy of uh, God's Word to Luke chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 25. If you would stand with me as we read through this. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 25, we're going to go through verse 39. This is right after Jesus has been born, and it says in, in verse, uh, uh, I believe, 22, it's about eight days, 21, eight days later. It says in verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, uh, and it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what, has, what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And his sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanel, uh, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Please be seated. I said there are three transitions here from, from the promise to the present. The first one that we can see is the culmination. If you notice in the text, you'll see a, a couple of key words and phrases. There was a longing for the consolation of Israel. A promise of redemption that was happening. And, and as I think about this text, and I think of Simeon, and I think of Anna, the first thing I think of is imagine the weight. Look at the life of Simeon and Anna. Uh, we don't know exactly how old Simeon is, but it says that the, he was now prepared to die, that he had waited his whole life for this moment. It said that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would see the Christ, that he would witness Jesus before his death, and he waited. Uh, we don't know for, for how long that was, but I imagine it was a significant time. And, and I look at Anna, and, and here she is, this 84-year-old woman, and I think of her life, uh, seven years she was married. We don't know when they got married, but, but she lived with him for seven years, and then she was a widow from the rest of that time on. And you think of the hardship of that, maybe, uh, because in, in those days, you know, being a widow would not have been an easy thing. And, and, and yet, at the same time, she went, it says, every day. And, and these two, and all the prophets before them, 
and everyone before them all longed for this moment. Jesus, later on in His ministry, when He encountered the Pharisees, they they said to Jesus, we have Abraham as our father. And, And Jesus says, if you had Abraham as your father, then you would do the things that I ask. Because you know why? Because it says in John 8, verse 56, Jesus said to them, He says, Abraham saw my day coming, and he rejoiced in it. You look throughout the Old Testament and you say, what, what, what were the saints doing? They were looking forward. They were eagerly waiting for that moment of redemption. They were waiting for this moment of history to come to pass. And in Peter's epistle, uh, he writes in verse Second uh, Peter 1.12, he says that, that the things of salvation, the angels longed to see. They wanted to witness. They they were looking to it. They didn't understand it, but it was almost as if they were lifting up the curtain behind the scene to try and see what was going on. They were looking forward. If you remember, all the way back to Genesis 3.15, and we talked about it a little bit, that, that God had promised Adam and Eve the redemption in that, that incredible uh, promise very early when they fell and sinned in the garden. God said, I will send the seed of the woman and she will crush the seed of the serpent. And, and they knew that. They understood it because when, when uh, 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 Cain was born, uh, Eve named him Cain, meaning, behold, I have a man. This is it. And then he goes and commits murder. And it's proven he's not the one. But they longed for it. And here we have this incredible picture of, of, of Simeon and Anna longing and looking forward to the day when he would come, and they were privileged to get to see it. When Steph and I uh, were expecting Meredith, you know, I just I can remember that vividly, that anticipation, that waiting for when this child would come. If you've ever gone through that, is it is one of the awesomest and most horrible experiences ever because you're sitting there waiting and waiting. And then when you get close, when you're almost there, you're like, any day now, any day now, come on, would you just come? We want to meet this new life. And when that child comes, it's incredible excitement. I imagine that similar for them. And then finally, at the end of their lives, here he is, that God would Reveal himself to them. You can take a side note applications here and see incredible things. Number one, that God is faithful with his promises. We may not always think so, right? Because as we walk through life, we're, we're like, okay, God, you, you promised these things, but I'm not seeing it. But, but we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we see this incredible picture of people waiting on the promises of God. And, and eventually, there is a truth that we must understand that if we continue to be faithful, he will reward. I mean, that's what's going on here. Simeon and Anna faithfully worshiping, faithfully going before the Lord. And, and, and what happens? The Lord rewards them. Hebrews 11, 6, that, that we must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who diligently seek after Him. But not only that, we also have to understand that God's timing is always perfect. I mean, can you imagine Simeon, you know, as he's getting older and older, and he's probably to the end of his life, maybe his eyes are dimming, maybe he's hard of hearing, whatever it might be, and probably thinking, at least I am in that moment, I'm thinking, yeah, well, God promised that, and I'm never going to see it. But you know what? God's timing is always perfect. 
I find it ironic that both of them just happened to go to the temple that day. And imagine the weight that they had, but not only that, as we talk about the culmination, as we talk about the, you know, in a good story, you have the culmination where everything, the perfect storm comes together right at the moment, right before the climax. Here we have the transition from the promise to the present and and this culmination coming together. Imagine the welcome finally fulfilled. I can't help but think of Simeon in the story. It's been one of, uh, one of my favorite pictures in my mind in the New Testament. Simeon, seeing this baby, I think of how excited I was the first time I held my own child. But to think Simeon held the Savior in his hands after waiting and waiting and waiting. And here he is. He's here. He's here. And, and he's so fulfilled. Listen to the words that he says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. I've seen him. I can die now. It's all good. I've experienced it. Anna was so excited, it says, that she went and she told all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel, of Jerusalem. She went out and she went and shared with everybody, he's here. So you have a transition from the promise, and it's promise and promise and promise, and now you have, he's here. That's what's incredible about the story, is after promise after promise, we come to this point, and, and God chose to use uh, Simeon and Anna to bring it to a place of culmination. But not just that, there is also a transition in the covenant. There's some observations I want you to notice because I love when I read through a text to just notice certain phrases and words, maybe underline them, make mental notes of them. What are they there for? Because there's no word that is, is in there that is useless or, or uh, 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 not important. And so as I look through it, there's something very, uh, very distinct that I think of. Their age. It's, it's, it's not just them. But you notice, uh, you go back in Luke chapter 1, and you'll find that John the Baptist, it says that his parents were old, right? It says that they were older. And I think Luke is the only one who makes a, a distinct point about this. And what does this have to do with anything as we talk about a transition from the old to the new? Because Mary and Joseph were not old. And I think there's some significance here because as we talk about old, we talk about uh, in terms of an old covenant coming to a new covenant and a new age and a new point. And so we have in Luke later makes a point of this. He says the law and the prophets up until John... The Old Testament came, but now the kingdom of God is for pressing in today. The messages, the messages of the old were promise, and now we have a message of light to all. Look at what Simeon says. He says that, that Jesus, this Messiah, was going to be a light to the Gentiles. If you remember the Old Testament, the Old Covenant was a a covenant for His people specific to the nation of Israel. And now Jesus is coming in and it's a light to the Gentiles. 
there was going to be conflict as Simeon talks to Mary and Joseph. He says that there will be a, a conflict between this child and the people. And he hints at the crucifixion. He says that a sword will pierce through your own soul, speaking to Mary, and the heartache that she would experience. Can you imagine that? As you're holding your newborn child, somebody talking and prophesying about the heartache that would come. A message of redemption. As Anna would say, that the redemption of Israel coming the redemption of Jerusalem. It's just an observation. And, and, and the other thing I notice in here is the phrase according to the law over and over again, that they did things according to the law. And, and what a beautiful picture of the Old Testament saints who did things according to the law and came and, and worshipped at the temple as Simeon and Anna. And now what I found interesting, I was sharing this with my wife this morning as I was thinking about this, you have, you have according to the law, but if you notice another prevalent phrase being used, by the Spirit. We think of the Old Testament as people having the Spirit come upon them, and, and every once in a while they would be led into doing certain things, but here we have a transition from according to the law to a transition by the Spirit. Notice what it says about Simeon, that the Spirit came to him and came upon him, and then the Spirit filled him with the knowledge that he would see the Christ, and then the Spirit led him into the temple that very day. Brothers and sisters, there is a significant transition happening in this text. That we see an old becoming new. That we see an old covenant, a covenant of God's promise. And, and I want us to understand this very carefully because there is an understanding here that, that Simeon and, and Anna, as they were older and they were the Old Testament saints looking forward, they did not despise the new but they rejoiced to see it coming. And they welcomed it. Because that's the reality, brothers and sisters, that the more we spend in the law of God and the more time we spend in realizing and understanding the Old Testament promise of redemption, the more we realize that it's all about Jesus. And if we can see Him, we rejoice at His coming. And that's what the law does. That's why Abraham looked to his day and rejoiced at its coming. And, and it's because as we can look at this and we understand this, it's that Jesus came not to abolish the law or the prophets. But what does it say? It says He came to fulfill it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says, Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. Right before their eyes, the promise was being fulfilled. A transition from the old covenant to a new one. And finally, a transition not just of the culmination from a promise to the present and a transformation from, from the old to the new, but also in a communion. And this is what I love about this so much. And as I think about this passage, I think it's the thing that strikes me the most. You see, in the Old Testament, and, and in this very passage, what were they doing? They were going to the temple, right? They were going to the temple. Why? Because the temple was the place of worship. 
The temple was the place where they would communicate with God. The temple was the place where they would go find the high priest who once a year could enter into the Holy of Holies, a sacred place that only one person once a year could go, and that is where God was. That's distant. That is a religion that is far from intimate. And in this very moment, He, Emmanuel, God with us, was here. What a transformation from over there to a place where I can never go, but to a place, as Hebrews talks about, where we can now go with boldness into the Holy of Holies by a new and living way that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. You, you, you have to understand that as we transition, and that's what this is, this is a transition from, from the Old Testament promise of redemption to what is about to take place, which is the present. God came, and Jesus' message was radical to the Jewish people. Because in Jesus' day and age, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law all said the same thing, that He was a distant God, a holy. And and what they said was true. He was a holy and righteous God. But they could not even write His name Jehovah nor speak it. And when Jesus came, you know what Jesus did? He taught them. He said, when you pray... This is how you pray, our Father. You know that Jesus is the first one that introduced the concept that God was Father. It is no wonder that John, the disciple, when he writes his epistle in 1 John chapter 3, he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. This is a radical concept that He would come to us. Brothers and sisters, this is the redemption that God said, I will take care of it and I will come to you. I'm not going to let you try and do it on your own because you never can. As Paul states very clearly in Romans chapter 3, there is no one, not one who does good. There is no one righteous. There is never going to be. And in Romans chapter 3, he goes on, he says that the law, by the way, that law, here's what it does. It shuts your mouth. Because there is no one righteous apart from God. And so God said in this moment, I will come to you. And you have this incredible story. And and we we did skip Luke chapter 1, which is all about the birth of Jesus, which is this incredible moment, this glorious night when God was so thrilled that He sent a choir of angels to declare the coming of the Savior and to declare glory to God and the highest peace on earth, goodwill toward men. One of the most incredible moments in history. And we transition from looking forward to, to the kingdom is here. And that was Jesus' message. The kingdom of God is here. John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of God is coming. Repent for the kingdom of God is coming. Jesus comes and he says, our Father in heaven, the kingdom is here. I think of an incredible story that that relates to this in John chapter 4. Many of you know the story of Jesus with the woman at the well and this incredible story where Jesus begins to share with her and he asks her for a drink. And and if you've read the story, you know kind of what goes on and, and he begins to tell her that if she knew who he was, that she would ask him for a drink because he has living water. 
And at the end of that section, in John chapter 4, you have this, this encounter of this woman. And Jesus says, hey, go bring your husband and, 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 and I'll share the same story with you, with him. And, and she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus, in his wisdom and omnipotence, says, I know, because you've had many. And the one that you're living with isn't your current husband. She's like, whoa, how did you know that? And she says this incredible thing in John chapter 4. I think it starts around, uh, uh, I don't remember which verse, 19. Uh, she says, I perceive that you are a prophet, for you tell me things about me. And she goes and shares a little bit of knowledge that she has about religion. And I fear that this is what many believers have an understanding of what religion is. She says, our forefathers worshipped on that mountain. That's what I know of religion, a place of worship. And Jesus in this transformation says this incredible thing. He says, I tell you the truth, that a day is coming where you will worship me in spirit and in truth, not on a mountain. And that's what's going on here. Jesus has come and He is present and it is not about temples or places, but it's in spirit and in truth because He is here. And we have this incredible passage in Hebrews chapter 4 where it says that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us because He has been touched in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. He has come, He has died, He has bled because He was real. What an incredible moment. Brothers and sisters, this is the, the moment of the gospel coming to fruition that God made creation and He said, obey the laws that I have laid out because I care about you, I love you, I cherish you, and I want to protect you. And man said, I think I will take matters into my own hand and I will rebel against you and do what I desire to do. And then God planned out this drama of redemption from the moment of creation before it even, it says in Revelations, that before the foundations of the earth were laid, that Jesus Christ was already crucified. And in that moment, after man had sinned, the promises began to flow that I will redeem you, I will redeem you over and over again. We have incredible moments in the minor prophets where uh, things like, you have been unfaithful to me. You have played the harlot yet I will come for you. And in this moment, Jesus comes and in this incredible time on earth, and we're going to look at it this week, uh, uh, the tenebrae. For those of you who don't know what tenebrae is, it's just a Latin word. It means service of shadows, where we reflect on the work of the cross. And if we don't make the cross, which by the way is offensive to the world, the center of what we are, then we have missed the point. Because the reality is that in the cross, substitution was made. The plan was this. Here is the transition that I cannot do it, therefore God will, and God will come and He will pay the penalty for all the sins that man has, has earned and deserves, and God would say, in your place, Jesus Christ will die on a cross. And that's what we look at on Thursday and Friday. We look at a Savior who said, I will take your place. I will transition the sin from you and the promises that you look for into a reality that says, I am your suffering and your sacrifice and your solution. 
And the gospel says this, that as we observe all these things, that God is holy and just, and he is filled with wrath against sin, and that man has violated God and deserves every bit of it, and Jesus Christ has come, and he has done what I cannot do, and he has died on a cross for my sins, and he says to all who would believe and repent, I will give eternal life. The gospel is this, that we have an obligation to respond. Brothers and sisters, this is an exciting passage. I see absolute wonder at Simeon holding the Messiah because I believe that Simeon, probably a lot like Martin Luther, if you've ever read the autobiography of Martin Luther, you find an incredible account that Martin Luther went into the monastery to believe that he would uh, repay a vow he had made for God saving his life. And Martin Luther grew to hate God. He hated God because he saw God who was filled with wrath and indignation towards sin. And then Martin Luther began to study Romans for a a, a lecture series that he was put in charge. And in the midst of hating God, he was put in charge of a college to teach. And he was asked to do Romans. And as he reads through Romans, he reads this passage, the just shall live by faith. And he said that the doors of heaven, the gates were flung open and I entered in as into paradise. I imagine Simeon in excitement after waiting and knowing every time he went in for sacrifice, it wasn't enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. As Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats are nothing but an annual reminder of sin. And in comes Simeon, led by the Holy Spirit into the temple after being promised that he would one day see his salvation and to see Jesus. It's that moment, ah, my eyes have seen my salvation, I am satisfied, I can die. And then the story that we are reading this morning ends with this. Verse 38, and coming up, I'm sorry, verse 39, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, They returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. Culmination coming up in in this incredible moment. We're waiting and we're eagerly anticipating the climax and they go home. Because we've got 30 years. We've got 30 years of a life of ministry where Jesus would teach us so much. And then he would offer himself willingly. As it says in Luke later on, that he would set his face like a flint. He was determined to go to the cross for salvation to all who would believe. And this incredible climax. And I look at this and I, and I say, not quite yet, but hope is on the horizon. That's the transition. And I would just simply ask, as we look at this text, a number of things. Number one, what is your longing? As we sit here today, is our longing like that of Simeon and Anna, that we long for the day to see the fulfillment of our salvation? What is our longing and what are we doing while we're waiting? Because here's the reality as we can see in this passage. He is here now. He has come and He will come again someday. What are you doing as you await the final transition? If you are sitting here today and you say, this holds no hope for me. 
It is because you have not beheld the Savior in your arms. That He has come and He has lived and died for your eternal life. And I would encourage you that today we can also make the transition as it says in 2 Corinthians that the old is gone, the new has come. Anyone who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. That's what makes the story of redemption so incredible. Do we hold up the precious value of salvation? Are we proclaiming that as Anna, proclaiming to all who would hear, who are eagerly awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem? You know, we fear transition a lot of times. We fear change. I think we fear change, and and so oftentimes in in people's lives when they are presented with the truth of the gospel, they are afraid. They're afraid because of one of two things. Either they have gotten to a place where they're okay with how things are, or they're afraid of the unknown of what will be. And we can take that into every aspect of our lives. We fear change. When when there's a change in the presidency, we're either okay with how things have been going and we're afraid of what will be, or or some aspect of that, we're afraid of, of changing things in our personal life. We're afraid of these things, but the reality is transition is truly a beautiful thing. For without transition, it would always be night. But one of the glorious transitions in life is a sunrise coming up to form a new day. Brothers and sisters, we live in death and in sin. And there is a reality that the greatest transition is to fall upon our knees before a holy God and say, save me. And we have an incredible transformation. When I think of this story and when I want us to think of this story from here on out and we talk about the drama of redemption and that moment that the curtains have rise And the new scene steps out and you see Simeon and Anna and it's the introduction to the greatest moment of history. Jesus Christ, our Savior. And His ministry that would soon come. And His death on a cross that would bring hope of salvation to all who believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you that you did not leave us here alone to die in our sin. We thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your Savior to us. You sent the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. That he was buried and on the third day he rose to life. And that moment substitute was made. That my sin and everything I deserved, that, that very act of disobedience from the moment I was born can be taken and laid at the cross and true change is made. Father, I pray for anyone in here today who has not done that, that today would be a day of salvation, that today would be the moment where they would stop wondering What will happen to me when I die? That they can enter into a place where they know that the doors of heaven have been flung open to welcome them because Jesus Christ has died for us. 
Lord, I pray as we eagerly await your return that we would be faithful in seeking after you, that we would be faithful in proclaiming and lifting high the Savior, Jesus Christ. And that we would not forget the cross, a place where all my sin and shame are laid aside and exchanged for the hope of eternal life. Lord, we thank you. We rejoice in you. We give you glory and praise for you alone are worthy of all glory because you are the one who does all and you are our all. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.